0: Hey, welcome to First, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Again, my name is Daniel. I'm one of our pastors here, and welcome to week one of Kaleidoscope Church. Now, I don't know if while you were growing up you had a kaleidoscope. Frankly, mine stayed in the toy box because it wasn't a Spider-Man shooter or a Batman cape. But if you had a kaleidoscope, a lot of the times it's a little bit more than meets the eye because it's a really unassuming thing from the outside. It's usually just like in a cardboard tube or a wooden tube, but if you actually take the time to look inside a kaleidoscope, it's like, wow, like that totally exceeded my expectations. See, kaleidoscopes, they're made up of all these little broken pieces of glass that are insignificant on their own, but when they all get pieced together, it makes something beautiful and something that's truly special. And so this series, Kaleidoscope Church, it's really meant to be a direct expansion of this series we just did for the last four weeks that we were calling All In. Now it's one thing to be all in as a church, but a question that's really natural after that is, what do we look like from the outside looking in as a church? See, being all in, it means so much more than just strapping on the all in t-shirt and come to church like three or four times a month. When we say that we're all in, what we're actually talking about is a life that is fully surrendered to God, where we say all that we have and all that we are, it's on the table before you, God, to be used to help people recognize their need for our Savior, Jesus. That's what it means to be the church. So over a year ago, our friend Jared, and you may or may not know him, he's our Urbana location worship pastor. He had this idea about just reminding us all about what the church was created to be. And it was all centered on this one verse that I want to share with you. It's Colossians 3.14. It simply says this, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Doesn't that sound, like, so sweet? right? Sounds like something that you would buy at Hobby Lobby and put over your fireplace and just, ah, this is wonderful. Sure, this doesn't represent my family whatsoever, but I feel better when I look at it and I can experience unity on the inside, right? Now, we believe at its core, church should be a place where sincerely different people can find genuine unity because of Jesus. Brokenness and all. But let me promise you this, unity is both more difficult and more rewarding than we could ever expect. This is something that should go without saying, but church isn't meant to be for just one type of person. Can I get an amen for that? Church isn't supposed to be just like one type of person is welcome here. And beyond that, Jesus is more than for just one type of person. Jesus loves more than just one type of person. I think we'd all agree with that on the surface level, but when we start to dig into the implications of what I just said, we start to question things a little bit because it's going to have to change the way that we are. See, the honest reality is when people look from the outside in, they take a peek behind the curtain at what's going on in church, a lot of time what they find is that we are not that different from the rest of the world, and not in a good way. What I mean is we find out a lot of times when we peek behind the curtain of church that we like people like us. I don't know if you've experienced that before. You know it's easy to love people until you actually get to know them? My wife and I, we're experiencing this on a very personal level right now because we're first time homeowners, so we're experiencing being neighbors for the first time. And I don't know if anyone has a neighbor like this, but we have a neighbor who just likes to let their grass go to the point of like Amazon forest level, okay? And so when they mow their yard, instead of just mowing a couple of strips the opposite way, they shoot the entire Amazon forest into our driveway. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, like this love your neighbor thing, it's a metaphor, right? It's not literal, (laughs) is it? Now, I think all of us love the idea of unity. We love peace. We love harmony. But you know what's hard? It's hard to love difficult people. It's hard to love people that aren't like us. It's hard to love people the way that Jesus calls us to love people. So if you're new to FIRST, one of the things that we did over this course of the past last spring was we went through a series called Free Swim that was a ton of fun. And we talked about this big idea that the church should be a place where you can belong before you ever have to believe or behave. And this was really the main tension of the book of Galatians, which is a part of the New Testament. Paul, the guy who wrote it, was addressing this group of people who fashioned themselves as the mature Christians, the ones who had it all together, and they had all these expectations of people who were just coming to faith in Jesus. And so what Paul had to come in and do was pretty much help them understand, hey, these expectations you're placing on people, God doesn't even expect people to live this way. And he keeps coming back to this over and over again. And I know nothing like that ever happens in church, people expecting things of people that God doesn't even expect of them. But this really seems to be what's happening in the book of Ephesians as well. And Paul is returning to this point over and over again. Really, one of the reasons why we have the Bible is because Paul has to keep addressing this point. God wants to bring everyone into the family. Church isn't just for one type of people. And so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, if you want to turn there with me. It's really early in the New Testament. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Galatians. Ephesians will be right there. If you don't have, like, a Bible encyclopedia in your head, it's going to be on the screen as well. So go on ahead and turn there. This is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, but now, in Christ Jesus... And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who are near. I don't know if you caught that, but it really surprised us while we were reading through this. It seems like Jesus' purpose is unity. Jesus' purpose is unity. That surprised us because as we were sitting through there and we were thinking, well, didn't Jesus come to die for you and me and to save us? And yes, of course, that's true. But you know how Jesus saves us? Jesus saves us by reuniting us with God and restoring our relationships with other people. In the case of the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Colossians and a lot of these other books in the Bible, it was all about Jewish believers in Jesus recognizing that people outside of their ethnic group could be a part of the family of God. And I'll tell you what this means for us here and now, today, 2,000 years later. God is still trying to bring people who aren't a part of our community into the family of faith to make something beautiful together, like a kaleidoscope church. God wants to bring people who are not like us into our community, and here's what we'll find out. Once they're here, it'll make us even better. So let me tell you this. If Jesus has saved you and me, and we get to this point where we still don't love people who aren't like us, we have missed the entire point of why Jesus came to this earth. God wants to take all people broken and unique and mold them into this thing that he's building together called the church. Something that's surprising and inspiring when you take a peek inside. And so we we really got to ask ourselves, what are we talking about when we're talking about oneness and unity? Because I think a lot of the times when you hear unity, the thing you think about is, oh, we're all the same. Unity, yay, right? That is the furthest thing from the truth. Because this is how it is. We were created for unity, not uniformity. You understand what I'm talking about? This is this idea that I can't be you any more than you can be me. At another point in the Bible, Paul says, we've become a new creation in Christ, but thank God, we're not all the exact same new creation with the same gifts, the same passions, the same talents. God is, Uses different people on purpose. We spend so much of our lives trying to fit into the perfect little box of what we're supposed to be like as Christians. But at the end of it all, unity actually requires difference. If there wasn't difference between the two of us, we wouldn't have an opportunity to have unity. That's just uniformity if we're all the same. So, got to ask a question by a raise of hands. Anyone here like a good salad? Anyone? See, I've gotten like way more positive feedback on that in both services today. You've really surprised me, but one of these things that we've learned is there are basically like three ways to make a salad, and it can teach us a little bit of a lesson about unity. So if you're cool, I'm going to do a little bit of an object lesson here with you today. So uh, there are three ways to make a salad. You've got the weird way, you've got the American way, and you have the right way to make a salad, okay? So, I know we're being really subtle today, but again, this is going to teach us something about unity. So, let's start with the weird way. In the weird way to make a salad, we have all the different ingredients in separate little trays, completely distinguished from one another. And if you're smart, you're thinking to yourself, This is not a salad, this is a veggie tray. And you would be correct, it is not a salad, this is not a salad. This is the thing that you find completely untouched after the party you just went to recently, (laughs) right? So, here we have the weird way to eat a salad. You know, a lot of times we walk into church and we think to ourselves, wow, the only type of vegetable in the world is carrots. I mean, we all look like carrots, we all act like carrots, we all vote like carrots, we laugh at jokes like carrots, we vacation like carrots. Oh, you're a cucumber? Um, there's a space for you in the other tray down the street. It's a little too close to home, doesn't it? But then, you know, we got a little bit more unity when we're talking about the American way to eat a salad, and like all good Americans, we use iceberg lettuce, because it's the least lettuce-y type of lettuce that there is. There is zero nutritional value here, but hey, there we go. Iceberg lettuce. And, yeah, I mean, we've got these weird little purple things in here that no one is quite sure what it actually is. That's a little bit different. And then we've got, like, these little stringy carrots that are there as well. And, you know, like all good Midwesterners, what we do with a salad is we just douse it in ranch. Oh, you got an opinion? Here, share that with me. Oh, I can't, I can't hear you. Right? You know, try sharing your opinion in 2018 and just figuring out how it's going to work out for you. Am I right? But here's the way it works in church a lot of the times. It's like, hey, I'll like you if you're like me. Maybe you look different from the outside, but really at the end of the day, we all taste like ranch. That isn't actual unity. That's uniformity again. You know what I'm saying? And so when we come aside from the weird way and the American way of doing salad. What we'll recognize, and I'm biased, but I think a good salad should use real leaves. Uh, I bought this on sale at Walmart. Um, It was actually a little bit expired, so no one come and eat this afterwards. Um, But you get a nice spring mix, okay? Some different leaves to start with. And then what we do is instead of dousing it in some really strong dressing, put a little bit of oil on there, okay? And we start to incorporate some of the best ingredients from all the different pieces of the tray. Some broccoli, some carrots, some tomatoes. And we throw a little seasoning on there, too. And what you begin to recognize is that instead of us all tasting like ranch or all of us hanging out on different parts of the tray, we don't overpower one another, but we actually begin to accentuate one another. You can taste the carrots. You can taste the tomatoes. You can taste the leaves. And we actually bring out the best in one another. So many of us are settling for the weird way and the American way to do unity. But part of the problem with that is, is we're supposed to be inviting people to the table who aren't like us. This is the actual type of unity that Jesus died to bring to the church. When Paul summed up the whole entire thing, he said it this way when he was talking about the kaleidoscope church that God was building together through Jesus. This is Colossians 3.11. It says this, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free, they mean nothing From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Now, we shared that intentionally from the message paraphrase of the Bible because we love the way Eugene Peterson translated that. From the original Greek to paraphrase it in a way that we actually understand. The idea that we're getting at here is that there isn't a single external category that we could think of in the entire world that excludes someone from being welcomed into checking things out at the Kaleidoscope Church. See, Paul is making this point that all of our broken and fragmented pieces, they matter And they actually make this kaleidoscope church that God is building together even more special and even more beautiful. So, will we look different after we come to know Jesus? Well, of course. I'm not saying that we're just going to remain the same and that God won't transform us whatsoever. But the truth is, all of our pieces matter to God. And all of our pieces help build the thing that Jesus died to bring together. So at its best, this is what we believe. We believe at its best the church should be a fellowship of difference. And we spelled that weird on purpose, okay? Just so you're aware. At its best, the church should be a fellowship of difference. This is actually the title of the book that we use to bring together this series. But this is the point. Jesus didn't just come to the earth love people who weren't like him, die for people who betrayed him, and raise from the dead so you and I would be nicer to our friends and family. We could have done that without Jesus doing all that stuff, just become nicer to people. But Jesus modeled with his own life that God has arms open wide to anyone who would come and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. And so really what we have to ask ourselves is, are we actually becoming the church that Jesus died to build together. Socially, could you feel comfortable at first, regardless of what bumper sticker you rolled into this parking lot with on the back of your vehicle? Economically, could you feel welcome in our family, regardless of whether or not you were in the highest or lowest tax bracket? Are there categories like age, life stage, ethnicity, or anything else that we could do to define people from the outside looking in that make people feel uncomfortable as a part of our community? See, if we had to wince during any of those questions or any of those examples, we have an honest opportunity to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, create us into the church that you died to build together. And look, i got to promise you, this is not some sort of strand issue. This isn't just like a trendy hip thing to talk about. Unity. When Jesus was about to be betrayed and go to his crucifixion, he was on his knees pleading before God that his Father would unify everyone who came to faith in Jesus. This is not just an offset thing. And so we got to ask ourselves, what is actually the thing that makes different people from different cultures, different family experiences, different economic statuses, all come together and be unified? And the thing that we would say is this. The oil that binds us all together and creates us into a community that is unified and actually accentuates and brings out the best in one another, that oil is Love. Self-sacrificial, put you first before me, love. That's what it actually means to be within the church. And so Paul, he saw this all coming together in a really incredible way. And if you flip forward to Colossians, that's just a couple of books to the right. This is in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. This is what Paul says. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I don't know if you've actually ever experienced something like that, if you've actually experienced relationships like that. But just imagine for a moment, imagine being in a community that actually encompassed compassion, kindness, being humble, being gentle, putting others first, forgiving one another. And I might actually sign up to be a part of a community like that. But here's the big idea that we have to land on today. All of that nice stuff that Paul talks about is completely impossible. We'll never achieve it if we don't do one simple thing. And this is what we're landing on today. To truly love someone, you have to be with them. To truly love someone, you actually have to be in proximity to them. See, love, it's not a fondness or a feeling that develops after a commitment and then leads to a relationship? At least that's not the type of love that we're talking about here when we're talking about love that binds everything together. Love, as God portrays it, it starts as a commitment. And it says, hey, I'm going to be with people. I am going to love others. I am going to be compassionate, kind, gentle, humble. I'm going to forgive, and I'm not going to expect anything in return. It all starts with me being with you, unconditionally. That is the starting point. So folks, if we're going to love like Jesus, if we are actually going to be the type of love that binds the church together, that will hold us together through whatever we could experience, we have to be with people. We have to put ourselves in proximity to people, whether they're like us or not like us, and love them unconditionally we got to let go of this idea of trying to look good and act right all the time and sincerely love people. Because if we do that, this is our belief, God can take all of our broken and fragmented pieces and build something together that is worth taking a peek inside and being a part of. Let's move to our time of response. So, Love. All you need is love. So, we're going to talk about this for a few weeks now, and it's really important that we dive into this because, really, a lot of the time we get to this point where love is just a concept that shifts depending upon how we're feeling. You know what I'm saying? And so, if we're going to talk about love for a few weeks together and how that actually leads to unity, we got to understand this is not just a button we click on Facebook on Twitter, this is not a strong like. Really at its core, what we're going to work through for these three weeks together is this idea that love is a rugged commitment. Love is a rugged commitment to be with people. That's what we talked about today. It's impossible to love someone and avoid them at the same time. It's impossible for me to say I sincerely love you and to spend no time with you whatsoever and so today we talked about how we need to be sincerely leaning into the people who aren't like us because those are the opportunities that God has put in place for us to love people who are both created in the image of God and who Jesus came to this earth and died for we got to put ourselves into proximity with people we've got to be with people but love It's also a step beyond that. Love is a rugged commitment not just to be with people because just being around someone doesn't change everything. Love is a rugged commitment to be for people. You know, a lot of the times we can communicate to people that we're around that we should love that they don't matter. Ever felt like a second-class citizen in a room? Like, yeah, you're welcome. You're invited. There's a seat at the table, but no one's looking at you. No one's speaking up for you. No one's advocating for you. Friends, why would we ever expect anyone wanna stick around in our community if we never had their back? If we never fought for them? And you know, I don't know if you thought about this, but God isn't just with us. He fights for us, too. A lot of the time, we make people feel less than valued when we raise our hands in worship and then we leave this room intentionally avoiding people who we know are hopeless and lonely. A lot of the times we perpetuate this idea that people don't actually matter when we raise our hands in worship and then we go home and we make generalizations about the same type of people that we're sitting with in the rows on social media. Like, come on, that's not what the church is supposed to be. We don't get to decide who is a part of God's family. We don't decide who's a part of the church. Jesus beckons all to come to himself and confess him as Lord. And if that's the case, they're part of the family. We don't get to decide. We need to have each other's backs. We need to fight for people and be with one another. And this is the really cool good news. After we get to this point where we have been with one another, where we fought for one another, we'll recognize that the real transformation starts to occur not only in the lives of the people we're investing in, but also in our own hearts as well. Would you ever trust someone to build into you who had never proven that they were with you or for you? So why would we ever expect anyone to behave or believe before they've ever belonged in the first place. And so this third week that we spend together, we're gonna lean into this idea of when we have proven we're with and for one another, God begins to transform all of us into a more and more beautiful picture of what this Kaleidoscope Church is meant to be. So today, we get an opportunity to respond to this God who is so abundantly with us and calls us to be with one another. And something that's so cool as I'm watching this happen in our church community right now, just this past Wednesday, there were over 120 people in the Oasis venue connecting to different groups here at first. Danny gave a message during the All In series and said, we need people to step up and lead, and the church responded. There are an abundance of opportunities for you to belong, to be with people, to be in relationships where people have your back and are for you. And so what I have to say is, if you didn't make it out to group link this past Wednesday night, what's stopping you from being with this community what's stopping you from taking a step to building in to other people and so today my hugest encouragement to you is this we have an abundance of opportunities for you to belong and grow here at first in groups to sincerely be with people would you take this time to just mark that little bubble on your connection card that says i want to join a group Make sure some contact information's on there. In this time of response, fold that up and put that in one of the give and respond buckets. We would love for you to be with one another in community. But something we're also gonna do in this time is we're gonna invite people to be with us by simply just writing down a prayer request and recognizing I've been trying to bear the burden of my life alone and God didn't create me to do that. He created me for unity with other people. And so if you got a prayer request, we'd love for you to write that down. We'd love you to fold that up and put that in the give and respond boxes during this time of response. But another tangible thing that we do in this time is we are generous tangibly with our finances. And I share this all the time, but I don't know if it's ever going to sink all the way into our schools that in the Midwest, in Champaign County, we exist in a region where 80% of our county is not connected to a local church. I don't know what nominal belief people have in God, but people are not experiencing what life is like in sincere community, and that breaks my heart. And so the reason why we give and are generous is because we need to propel the mission of Jesus of continuing to reach and listen to and be with people who don't have family, who don't have community. So if you're prepared to give in a tangible way today, you can do that through the Give app. You've been doing a tremendous job through that. The instructions to do that are on your program, but you can also drop those gifts off if you brought that like in a paper form and put that in the given boxes as well. There are two of those in the back of the auditorium. There are two by the front doors of the auditorium. But something that we need to do today is we need to allow God to flood to our mind the faces of people who are not like us who he wants to inconveniently place in our life just to share the love of Jesus. And though this is frankly my prayer for you, I pray that God puts someone inconvenient in your life. And I know that sounds like really mean, but frankly, I think it's the best thing for us. I pray that God would put someone in your life so different from you that the only thing that you can do is display the love of Jesus. And in this time, As we respond, whether you do it in your seat or you need to come up to one of these prayer benches, I just want to encourage you to ask God to put someone inconvenient in your mind and then ask him how you can be obedient and respond to loving that person, to being with them. And watch what he does in your heart for them. But the last thing we're going to do is we're going to put Jesus at the center of everything that we are. So would you do this with me? Would you stand for just a moment? The most tangible way that we respond in this moment is we recognize that if there is a picture of rugged commitment, it is Jesus. Imagine a love so reckless. Imagine a love so overwhelming that we couldn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. And Jesus dies even when we were his enemies, even when we were his foes. And so if you're a guest or new to First something that we do is we celebrate Communion. There are these stations that are surrounding the entire auditorium. We go and we pick up a little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body. And we pick up a little cup of juice that represents Jesus' blood. And in this time, we partake and remember him. Because we didn't do anything to deserve or earn that love, but he gave it away freely. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to respond by doing just that, by partaking of communion. So all those ways we talk about, whether you need to come here and pray, you need to go and drop something off at the give and respond box, if you're ready to respond and celebrate communion, let's spend this time to really dwell upon the fact that God is so abundantly with us and he wants us to be with one another too. Let's respond.